was asked to talk about Pope Francis and Christian unity tonight. I gave a talk on this subject last night in Austin, and some of the people, the few people who were there last night are here again. So I thought I, I'd better change the <laughs> a little tonight. Um, so I'm going to start tonight in a different starting point. You know, if when Francis was elected the conclave this year and Pope Francis was elected, I was reminded strongly in 1958. Now, most of you probably cannot remember 1958, but I can. <laughs> and, um, and this was the election of John XXIII. And you see, this, this was one of those surprise elections that in some way inaugurated a new era in the Catholic Church, really, because he called the Second Vatican Council. Um, and um, I think there are similarities with this situation in 2013. I, I'll try and mention a few of these. First of all, of course, the, um, um, the very similar age these um, Ron Kelly elected in Chetukna, John 23rd in 1958. Um, now, you know, no, no pope had taken the name John for 600 years at that time. And um, this, this made people say, oh, now this time Francis taking a name never taken before. This sort of was even more remarkable. Um, and of course the name taken Francis, this sends out all sorts of messages. Um, but John does as well, because, you know, John the beloved disciple, John the Baptist, mm -hmm. and so on. And um, so, um, but, um, you know, when I tell a story about John 23rd, when he, long before he was elected, in 1922, um, he was, had just been made an, an apostolic delegate in Bulgaria, uh, just been named, and he, uh, you know, he made a bishop for that, and he um, took refuge in a Roman thunderstorm in the porch of a church. And there was a Benedictine monk who took refuge from the same storm in the same church, and they began talking to each other, and they became firm friends, and it's one of these examples of one of these providential mm -hmm. relationships, friendships, because the monk who took refuge in this church was a Belgian, Lombard Baudouin, who was in fact one, a key pioneer in the origin of the liturgical movement in the Catholic Church, and then a key pioneer in ecumenical movement. This is, he's almost unique in this, and having played a key role in the beginning of two major currents of the 20th century. Anyway, he became friends with John XXIII, and, and they influenced each other in relation to the whole the question of ecumenism and unity, which in 1922 was not on the Catholic agenda. Um, and yet it was in both their hearts then. And... Um, now, one reason I mention this is that in 1958, when John was elected, this monk, Belombert Baudouin, was bedridden in his old age, and he, lived, he didn't live to see the beginning of the but when he heard that his old friend, Roncalli, had been elected pope, he said, he will call a council. Mm. And... Um, this is very interesting. Um, so, you see, and this unleashed... Also, John Twenty-Third had a totally different style from predecessors. There's another parallel with 2013 here, style, and a very popular style. Um, and, and, um, and also, he was a man with a real sense of humour, and... and the, there were lots of stories circulating about him. This is this is also very much like 2013. Mm -hmm. And um, 
But I think the one important thing was that both of these, uh, both in 1958 and in 2013, though in 1958 it took a year or so, but the announcement of the council, calling a council was three months after he was elected. But this unleashed a, a, an immense sort of hope in the Catholic world. This isn't meaning that everybody is totally dissatisfied already, but just that, that you know, a strong sense of the Holy Spirit moving the church. And I think this, this is clearly there in 2013. Now, in mm -hmm. 1958, there were only 51 electors, of whom exactly one-third, 17 were Italian, 18 were from other continents, and so that makes 16 other Europeans besides Italians. Um, now, um, at that time, it was a long conclave in 1958, and it's clear that John Twenty-third was... was what, what, a lot of people thought of him as a caretaker pope. People were saying this, you know, they couldn't agree on on the people who were thought of as the front runners, and so um, Cardinal Roncalli, who'd been nuncio in France earlier after the war, he was elected, but I think it was something like the eleventh or the fourteenth vote or something. Wow. Cardinal Roncalli was elected in the fifth vote, mm -hmm. and so. It lasted three days, or more, or it may have been elected on the fourth day, I think. And, um, and so he's thought of as being a caretaker pope. And the cardinals didn't know each other as well in 1958 as they do now. There had been a number of meetings where they called of all of them. In that, th those days, they only met for a conclave, really, all of them. And also, people, you know, the, that took longer to travel from the ends of the world and so on. So, the, what happened then was the, there, wasn't, there wasn't an acute sense of... I think there was more sense of crisis in 2013. I'll come to that in a moment. But um, John XXIII, he, he had I, I, ideas... He, he um, you know, the, the whole issue of unity had been important to him for a long time, and he immediately started mentioning this when he called a council. And this, so there were various things that set off a whole lot of anticipation. And... But John, when John was elected, the rest of the cardinal, they didn't really, they, I think a lot thought he was a caretaker. They didn't have any idea he would call a council. And, um, and so, you know, now a pope doesn't need a mandate in a sense like a politician does, but it makes a big difference. Um, <laughs> John XXIII did not, you know, he, he, he was... He was very wise and canny, you'd say, in the way that he, 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 led, he led the church forward. Mm. Now, in 2013, there was a sense of crisis. A lot of people were using this word. First of all, there'd been the so-called Vatileak scandal and this sort of thing. There were, Pope Benedict had appointed three cardinals to report on issues um, to do with the, the so-called Vatican Bank, to do with other uh, alleged scandals and so on. And they produced a 300-page report. Now, a 300-page report is not talking about nothing. Um, and so um, there was a strong... It's clear there was a strong mood among the cardinals in 2013, that they had to elect a strong man who was going to sort this out. And, um, and so, in this respect, 
Cardinal Bergoglio, when elected, ha has a strong backing from people who've elected him with in mind to do a particular job. Now, what was the job that was in mind? Well, we know that this time there was no dead pope. <coughs> there were no funeral sort of things to, that they would normally go through. And so they had a lot of meetings <coughs> with cardinals for 10 days or so where they were discussing all the needs of the church and the situation together. And... Um, <coughs> And the, the, they were talking about all these issues. Now, the one of the um, the the issue of the Vatican finances. Um, this is one one major area. I think the the in the it seems in this report there were rumours of a of a homosexual circle of some sort w within the Vatican. Um, though this is said to be of lay employees more than of... of but anyway, the, this, this sort of issue was there. And also um, a whole lack of coordination in the way the Vatican functions. And, there was, and so all of this people were wanting Pope who would deal with this. Now, what we see is that in one year, Francis has begun to deal with this very firmly. And in the last two weeks, he's set up the whole new financial structure and appointed a cardinal from Australia to lead it. And, um, you know, I, I've got friends in Buenos Aires who know new Cardinal Bergoglio well, and they told me that he is a strong man, he's very determined, but he doesn't rush, he weighs things up, but he will move decisively, and you will find that he will address these things very firmly, and I think that's what we're seeing. However, I think, you know, that's only one small part of the story, really, because um, w what we see is... I think that, and this is where there's another parallel to 1958, I think, that Francis has a vision for the whole church. And it's expressed very clearly in this letter he wrote in December, Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. But he's, he speaks about the necessity for a pastoral, and missionary conversion of the church. Mm -hmm. This is the exact phrase he uses, paragraph 25 in that document. A pastoral and missionary conversion of the church. And in a way, the, the whole of this document is, is about unpacking this vision. Now, I think among the people who elected him, some would have idea that this, but, you know, I think... Some of this may be surprising, some of them. But Francis, um, you see, he, he, he made a speech to all the cardinals in the pre-conclave meetings where he ex said some things expressing his thoughts about the needs of the church today. And it's, it's said that this speech made a big impression on the other cardinals. And the, he, uh, the cardinal from Cuba asked Bergoglio if he, if he could make this known, if he had any objection to this, making this known, what he said, and he said no. So this wasn't an unauthorized leak. Now, what he said in this, he spoke about this, he more or less said there's two types of church. I'm not, he said there's a self-referential church that talks about itself and is focused on itself. And there's a church that goes out. And this is what he's want. This is the pastoral and missionary conversion. The church that goes out. And he, he's constant. A lot of the things he's talking about, he, you find coming up over and over again in what he's saying. But at the heart of it is this, the going out. He's, um, and... 
he says, he, he's, he's got a great gift for very vivid images. So he says that there's both, we've got to let Jesus in, <laughs> right, into our heart and life. But he says we've also got to let, the, you know, the, he's speaking about letting Jesus out. <laughs> this is another phrase he's using. So we keep Jesus too much to ourselves. And then, you know, now, um, he's, um, and so we find that he's, this thing about going out, he's said many times, to, he's said to the young people at World Youth Day in Brazil about go out, go out, and he's, and he said to the uncle, go out and make a noise. Make <laughs> and because, you know, in this, there's something really refreshing here that, you see, because he's saying, and he's encouraging young people, but he's, he's saying, and also to the bishops, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. Be bold. Yeah. Be bold. Yeah. And I see that I, you know, I've had, I could, I've had various examples in the last year of bishops taking quite bold steps that I wonder, would they have done that if, if, it wasn't, if Francis wasn't there, mm -hmm. encouraging them to be bold, telling them to be bold. Now, he's also um, given a couple of important talks in the last year about the sort of bishops he wants to see and to sort of what he's looking for in the appointment of new bishops. Now, in fact, one of these talks was given to the people who assessed him in the choice of new bishops. And on this, he says, he says, he says we do not need managers. He, you know, we do not need, efficiency is not the top priority. He says, we need people who preach, that, that carry who are charismatic, who preach the gospel. We need pastors who love the people who are in the middle of the people. Yeah. You know, this is where he uses this image of the pastors with the odor of the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he speaks about um, men of prayer Good. and men who really know the Lord and live in the, that lifestyle. Because I think this is what people pick up in Francis. I mean, there's a total coherence in his message, but there's a total coherence between his life and what he does and his teaching. Now, this, I think what we have to, I don't want to get into the business of making comparisons with his predecessor, because when I say this characterizes Francis, I, it, it's not true to say that his predecessors that there wasn't any coherence between their life and their teaching. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think Francis has a gift, with this emphasis on simplicity, um, there's a great transparency in Francis. And also, this is reflected in his openness. Like, with interviews, he will, he's given many interviews, he, with press conferences, he doesn't mind what questions people put to them, and he's happy to answer them. There's, there's no sort of a secretary buzzing around saying that question's out of bounds, you're not allowed to ask that question. So, um, <laughs> and um, now, um, I think that, you see, this, this real openness and, and honesty about everything, and a willingness to, to admit that things, you know, some things are not good. Um, you, know, he, you know, he's spoken out against a sort of triumphalistic Catholicism, which, which is sort of n not humble enough to admit the things that are wrong. He's, he used the phrase, the shame of the church, in relation to the child abuse issues and so on. And I think this really resonates with people. And, you know, the honesty, the, this, 
you know, the love for people, you know, the love for the poor, the love for the handicapped, mm -hmm. and 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 th that he he expresses in in gestures, and so this this is really communicating with people, and um, now. You see, I, I was started from this comparison between 1958 and 2013. I think it was John XXIII who launched the church on the path of renewal. Because the Vatican II was called as a council of renewal. Now, you know, I, I can remember the period just before Vatican II or the calling of the council. Catholics were not talking about renewal. Renewal wasn't really part of our terminology. I'm not saying the word was never used, but it wasn't part of, of the regular discussion of the church. In fact, at that time, if you suggested, I think with some places, if you suggested the churches needed renewal, you would have been regarded sort of as not very loyal. Um, then the language of renewal comes in with the council. And um, so it this... This launched this whole process of the church being called to renewal. And I think that Francis is kind of relaunching this. Or I think in some ways what we're seeing is phase two of the council's impact on the church. That because Francis is absolutely, he, he's living this of what's taught in Vatican II documents. Well, he's living first of all, it's in the gospel. Um, but I think that, um, see, he, he is, why do I say he's really moving forward into this a, a new phase of, of effective renewal? I think um, because, it, it, you see, I think that 50 years after Vatican II, I mean, Benedict called the year, this year of faith, which was, it was during this year that Francis, he resigns and Francis elected. But this was an important step. But I think that, um, you know, there were, in, in relation to renewal of the church, the, you know, the, not, the, the Catholic Church as a whole I think was was not strongly in in the conviction that we're we're in the middle of renewal and it's got to go forward. I think actually John Paul II and Benedict did say that that, it, that renewal was ongoing, mm -hmm. but a lot of people you hear people saying, well, you know, renewal that was something that happened at Vatican II and we had the liturgical changes and now that's all done and now we just have to get on with the regular Catholic life. Okay. Um, but um, I think that um, you know this letter of Francis you know when he's calling for this pastoral and missionary conversion of the church the word conversion is a strong word. In fact, stronger than renewal. You know, yeah. and th this <coughs> illustrates something for Francis, th this emphasis of conversion. We all need conversion. The way that we do things needs to change. He, in fact, you know, in this document, Evangelii Gaudium, he, he says at the beginning, we cannot go on as we are. You know, he's got, there's something really radical about what he's saying. Um, and so, but, it, you know, it's a ra radicality of the gospel. It's not radicality of turning everything upside down or abolishing all sorts of things that people, it, it's a radicality of the gospel. It's a radicality of Jesus. It's a radicality of following Jesus. The, I think this is what's being forward. But it, I think my sense is that we will see that th this is now like, I use the phrase last night, setting the whole Catholic Church in motion again, moving firmly forward. Yeah. I think Catholics need to be ready for this. Now, what, 
what does this mean for Christian unity? Well, of course, I think Francis has, is attracting the attention of other Christians strongly because, you know, they can see that this is a following of Jesus. Also, of course, taking the name Francis attracts attention because, you know, Francis of Assisi is one of the Catholic saints that's really more or less loved by all Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, but, you know, Francis... Um, has has quite a long track record of strong relationships with other Christians and other Christian leaders. And what's especially interesting here is that he has, he probably had a stronger record as a cardinal of very positive relations with evangelical and Pentecostal leaders than any, any other Catholic leader. He prayed every year, for 10 years, he prayed every month with a group of evangelical and Pentecostal leaders in Buenos Aires. And, and this, is, this is continuing in some way now that he's Pope. In fact, he is living as Pope exactly as he did as Archbishop of Buenos Aires. And now, um, I've had quite a bit of relations with Pentecostals for various reasons particularly flowing out of my involvement in charismatic renewal. And I know one of the leading Pentecostal pastors in Buenos Aires, and he's one of those who prayed with Cardinal Bogoda every month. And Thomas met this man in Chicago at a conference, but you know, I've, I've known him for some years. He did a PhD at the same university that I did. And um, he... And he loves France, you know, I mean, he, he uh, I mean, you could pick something of that up when you were in Chicago yes. at that meeting. Spoke very highly of him. And, um, you see, because he, he's accustomed to praying with people uh, informally and not just uh, saying an Our Father together or something. Um, you know, the, I mentioned last night there was a Wednesday audience last year where he just made a casual remark one morning saying, this morning I prayed with an evangelical pastor for 45 minutes. Well, you know, I don't think that had probably happened before. <laughs> um, you know. And, well, and where the, you know, he's strongly relational, emphasizing the relationships, the friendship. So he, He's shown he's willing to give time to something like this. You know, of somebody with all the things the Pope has to do, to give 45 minutes praying to somebody. Um, you know, but he's willing to do that. If he feels this is what the Holy Spirit is leading, he would do it. Um, so, now, I think this, this is of huge significance for, for Christian unity. See, th there's already been recognition in the last um, 10 to 15 years that, that, you know, that Catholic relations with evangelicals and with Pentecostals are going to become more important in, in the sphere of ecumenical relations than they have been up to now. Partly because, you know, some of the historic Protestant denominations have, um, shall we say, um, moved in a more liberal direction, which has been producing greater tensions with, with the Catholic Church. But you know, there's also a recognition that on many of the moral issues and the life issues, the people who are closest to us and supporting the same things are often the evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And, um, and of, not very often the people in the historic Protestant churches are not very strongly. And so um, I think, you know, the, already... There were signs in the last 10 years under Cardinal Casper and then 
Cardinal Koch at the Unity Office, that, that the relations with Pentecostals, Charismatic um, Evangelicals, are, they are attracting more attention, they're paying much more attention to this. And, um, and now, with Francis, this will certainly be, be the case. Now, I think that when Francis is talking about this pastoral and missionary conversion, you know, he, he's, you see, this, um, and he's talking about all of these things simply as the following of Jesus. He, he's emphasizing the need to pray to the Lord and pray to Jesus, but also the need to follow and obey. And he has a lot of these wonderful little messages each day that are very profound. And, and he's constantly hammering away at the most basic things about prayer, about obedience to the Lord, about listening to the Spirit, about not being afraid of the, of the newness and the creativity of the Spirit, um, of he's also love, of what are the demands of love. And talking about the poor, he talks about um, embracing the poor, we use the language of kissing the flesh of Christ. Um, you know, he used a very striking thing where he said, when you, when you meet the poor, do you, do you, do you touch them? <laughs> Very concrete. Yeah. Um, and um, and do you look in their eyes? And I think you can see he does this. And um, so. You see, it, but now in terms of Christian unity, this willingness to recognize Catholic failings, the willingness, it, this is not being disloyal, it, it's, it's being truthful and humble, because Francis is humble. And this means, you know, when, when you're humble and you acknowledge the things that are weaknesses, both our own, but also things in, in our church community. But when you do it humbly, not in an accusatory way, but first humble before God, humble before God. Mm -hmm. When you do this, the, the, re the, the real glory, so to speak, of the Christian life stands out. Right. Instead of a sort of propaganda that's presenting everything as wonderful when in fact everything isn't wonderful when you humble and acknowledge what needs to change and this helps to make it change then the real holiness the real glory the, 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 the deepest authenticity begins to shine forth as such that's right so, so that uh, and that attracts people you know, any kind of church propaganda does not attract people. It puts people off. And France is very aware of these sort of things. And so, um, he, I think that we're, um, we're going to see that all the, 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 this simple approach of honesty, of love, of humility, of prayerfulness... Uh, and so we're going to see it applied across the whole range of church life. And um, now, I think that one of the things that's changing, you know, one of the things the cardinals, it said, wanted clearly, that, that there was a there's widespread feeling that the teaching of Vatican II on the relationship between the Pope and the bishops had not been fully implemented. And there was demand that 
apparently cardinals were saying pre-conclance on that this this was something that they were concerned about. Quite a lot were saying this, and Francis has picked this up and he said that this is part of his program, and so he's already changing the pattern of the visits of bishops to Rome, which they make every five years. So previously, when the, the bishops they might have, under John Paul II, they met, except in his late last years, met him, with him individually, but otherwise, they, as a group, they met with the Pope, and he read them an address, and gave them a speech, and encouragement, and maybe correction, or whatever he said to them, and, and blessed them. And Francis is sitting down and wants a discussion. He wants to hear what's on their hearts. He wants to interact with them. And I, and you know, I know the Austrian bishops had their visit to Rome just three months ago or so or less, and they interviewed some of them on Austrian television, and they were thrilled. They they were they were so pleased with their meeting with Francis, because he's a very good listener. Now he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. You see. And as a good Jesuit, he knows about discernment. <laughs> and so when he's listening, he's listening for what the spirit, to hear the spirit in what's being said. And this is, you know, this is very encouraging. Um, now, another thing that Francis has been talking about that's also in this letter, Evangelii Gaudium. He's talking about the creativity of the Spirit. And th uh, this is a new note. I can't remember this being in teachings before like this. He's saying that the Holy Spirit produces an incredible diversity. There's just a massive diversity in creation. Now, if you want the biblical basis for this, you go to the creation story in Genesis 1. You know, that there's all manner of kinds of plants, trees, seeds, and so on. Vast variety. But he's saying that the Holy Spirit produces... Yeah. This, this is even more in the realm of, of, of human beings and in the realm of, of, uh, of the gifts of, of the Spirit. And, and so... And then he's, he said this right at the beginning in his message to the Cardinals the day after he was elected. He said, he said it may seem sometimes paradoxical that, that the result of the, the Spirit's coming is chaos. Um, you know, because that's what it looked like on the day of Pentecost. Now he's got this refreshing way of looking at him. But he said, yes, the Spirit does, it's, because it's this abundance, this creativity it's almost more than we can handle. Yeah. And it looks like chaos. But then he says the spirit starts to shape, bring harmony out of this, this huge richness. You see, and this is his vision. This is a vision of unity. And this is absolutely the opposite pole from the idea that, the mistaken view that unity means a kind of uniformity, or at least not very much diversity. And um, and this is, this is really important for unity. Now, of course, other Christian leaders pick up on this sort of thing very fast. In fact, the language of the language of reconciled diversity in 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 ecumenism was used especially by various Protestant um, theologians, and it was right at the centre of. Book by the well-known Protestant scholar Oscar Kuhlmann, who was one of the Protestant observers at Vatican II. Mm. Anyway, um, I don't know. I'm probably talking long enough, but um, I think <coughs> I want you know. I, I think we are living in a very privileged time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and. You know, yes, there, there are, we're living at a time of, of unprecedented a breakdown of the Christian values and society as we've known it in lots of ways. But it, it, 
it's a time of extraordinary importance. There's a huge creativity of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you know, of, of the things that are developing. And, um, and I think Francis <coughs> is very aware of this and encourages it. But, um, but, you know, this also applies in things outside the Catholic Church. And, um, you know, I know that Francis is, because I didn't mention this last night, but I was, I was in a small meeting with Cardinal Bergoglio in Buenos Aires a week before he left for the conclave. <laughs> and, um, and I saw him, his attentiveness and listening. Oh, that's neat. And his <laughs> <laughs> And he, at the end of this meeting, he just said to us, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. We prayed for him, for the conclave. And no idea what the result of would be. You prayed, you prayed very well, apparently. <laughs> anyway, no, but I've seen this. And you see, and the people there were telling me about him. And, um, and so, um, I think, um, the, the, this is one of those amazing steps forward uh, and but I think it's important to see that the same thing is happening you see the the Anglican Church in England had named a new Archbishop of Canterbury December before Francis' election but he wasn't actually installed till two days after Francis Justin Welby now, this was an, a very bold appointment in the Church of England, and I knew about this, and he, he's a man of the spirit, Justin Welby. He's also a man with strong Catholic connections. And um, so I was praying in, in, in sort of before the conclave that um, the Lord would give the cardinals the same boldness as the Church of England had shown in choosing this man, who, who was a real outsider when they appointed him. He was not one of the front runners at all. He'd only been a bishop there for a year. And um, you see, so there's also a new Coptic patriarch in Egypt, Tordros II. I think, that, I mean, the, the Coptic Church. It wasn't a matter of boldness in the election because they have a unique method of choosing their patriarch. And they, they do it by lots. <laughs> well, they, 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 they produce various names and they have three candidates at the end and then they have a small boy is blindfolded and they have three <laughs> things in the bowl with the name of each of the three that was selected out. And then the small boy chooses, picks out the one, and that's oh how goodness. the Coptic patriarch oh, is, wow. is chosen. But um, evidently, the small boy was led by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, no, but I think he he's already showing signs. He's been to visit Francis already, and of course, with Francis moving to this. Um, sort of hall of residence in the Vatican instead of living in the Pope's palace. Um, he has a visitor like this can stay with him and, and have meals with him and not just have one formal meeting but can be there two or three days. And so, so the patriarch was there uh, for meals with him and in the same, staying in the same place. Now, um, but you know, he, the, he is... It, it, I think it, it, it showing signs of really being a man after God's heart. It's time. There's also a new Greek patriarch of Antioch, who was the metropolitan in France, who is another uh, much younger man, um, another I think very high quality Christian leader. Wonderful. Now, I I think that. Um, you know, it, 
there are signs, you know, the Lord's providence is moving everything forward and in very significant ways. And I think that, you know, I'm hugely encouraged. And I, not that I've ever doubted, I've never been depressed about the way things are going. But I mean, I think the surges of greater hope, shall we say. <laughs> And this is certainly one of those times the last year. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if anybody wants to... What do you want to do, Thomas? Question or...? Always. So one of the um, things I'll just relay from my meeting in Chicago you know, it's interesting that Father Peter says he happened to be with Cardinal Bergoglio and pray with him five days. Apparently, the um, Cardinal called this group of Pentecostal and Protestant pastors who he'd been praying with for these ten years to pray with him the night before he left. Mm -hmm. So this man prayed over the Cardinal the night before he left for the conclave. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just a beautiful thing to see what God is doing and how he's doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to, you know, with the ability for you to overrule, of course, Father Peter, uh, pray, and my, rather than doing, say, a question and answer time. Prayer's not something you can really overrule. <laughs> um, here's, here's my sense of leading, um, which I think was confirmed by what Amy said. I would like to pray for those who are new among us. Um, I think it's no accident that you guys are here. I think it's no accident that you guys are here. So if you're willing, and of course you don't have to if you're not willing, but I would love to pray for both of you all together and just gather around and bless you. Sure. There's, yeah. So, of course, Larry and Sue, you're also new in the community of Austin House of Prayer. So if you would like to join in, of course you'd be more than welcome. You're not new in Elgin, so. <laughs> or in the Austin area. I'd like to pray for generation now. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. yes. Well, why don't y'all come up first? Come up. Um, are you here for a particular thing together? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you come together and you're here for a certain time? We are. We're here for a couple of weeks. We're the five of us Sorry. are a team that we're together for the whole year traveling. And speaking to students. So we go to different states and speak all year. Okay. Now, just... Let me step up. What, what, what is... Do you want to say anything about this evening and reflection on Francis and so on? Not Francis. I think it's I think it's beautiful that um, I think it's beautiful that we have a pope who is able to express the heart of the church in such a way that the people of this world are able to connect with. I think that um, I think if you look back and you study what the what um, pa Papa Pope John Paul II or what Pope Benedict said in their writings, or if you look at what actions they took as pope, um, you see that, like, like Father was sharing, that the spirit of the church hasn't changed in any way. It's the same inclusive spirit. It's the same on-fire spirit. It's, it's the spirit. This is, this is the love of God. This is our love. Um, who is working and ministering in this church. But obviously, he calls each and every one of us to, um, to share that love with this world in a unique way. And Pope Francis is doing that in a way that I think all of us are able to connect with on a new level, and I think that's beautiful. Um, and I'm, I know that all of us and all of the other young Catholics that I talk to, many, many of us are very excited um, about the way that the heart of the Catholic Church is finally being able to be encountered by the rest of the world in this life. That's good. Well. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> She's over here. <laughs> 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 so, I want to pray for you a moment. So, Father, just bless these Young servants, Lord, bless them that you've placed a love in their hearts, Lord. You've just deepened their love of, of you, Lord Jesus. Deepened their rooting in the Gospels. Deepened their 
the love of the communion of the body of Christ deepen, deepen more and more, Lord, in them, deepen. Thank you, Lord. Just bless and fill them. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit of life. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of life. Thank you, Lord. Bless them. Thank you, Lord. Strength. Clarity of mind, Lord. Clarity of mind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless and strengthen. Bless and strengthen. Bless the time here in, in this area, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Glory and honor and praise to you. May your may they be bound together. Our Lord, that you would show forth in them as a group, Lord. Your plan for human love and relating in the body of Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there will be just a given clear proclamation, Lord. Proclamation of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No, Mariana is easy too for Father Peter. Kate. I know, I, I know some Mariana. So. <laughs> Kate. Kate and Kate. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good. Who is that? Yours, Thomas. Yes. I, I was recording the prayers. So that, yeah. <laughs>